Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly in association with Volkswagen. Proud sponsors of Irish Rugby. Ryan Bailey here with you this week, joined in the studio by the ever-present Murray Kinsella. How's things, Murray? All good, how are you? Yeah, all good. And joining us in the studio this week is Bernard Jackman. How's things, Bernard? Good, thank you, Ryan. Good stuff. Murray, Six Nations in the, firmly in the rearview mirror now and it's, the sun's out. It's time for... Uh, European knockout rugby. It's great to have the provinces back in action this weekend and, and three fascinating games coming up. Yeah, it's often the best weekend or one of the best weekends of the rugby year really, isn't it? There's always some classic games. You still have a little bit of abandon in sides. It doesn't quite close up until semi-final, final stage in terms of the style of play. So yeah, some really good matchups here. Um, even Munster and Edinburgh, teams who are quite similar and obviously a, a brilliant interprovincial tie in Dublin as well on Saturday. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Bernard, as a player, it's a great time of the year. You know, all the guys were talking during the week about, you know, put the Six Nations behind them now, back home with their provinces and a no greater task, I suppose, to focus the mind and and get back into it than a European quarterfinal. Yeah, I think as a player, I probably experienced it from, I suppose, from both sides of it. Um, you know, the the provincial player who doesn't go into camp and, you know, your, your focus is your province day to, uh, day to day all the way through February, March. And, um, you know, you play your, your domestic games, but you know there's a carrot coming up of a, of a quarterfinal. And then, you know, the seasons I was in international camp then as well, it's so nice to come out of international camp and have a, you know, huge game to, um, to get ready for. Traditionally... Leinster used to, you, you try to play a game with your province first you know the way yeah. it used to fall you'd come out of camp and then you'd play that weekend um, and then you'd be into a quarter final and um, it's that, I think that's the interesting aspect from from this weekend if we look at say what Edinburgh did last weekend against Leinster you know Cochrane got all his players back in as many as he could back in and they obviously got a win and um, they got a chance to build some cohesion whereas obviously Leinster Went down the other route of um, leaving a you know a body of players behind, and um, that's the challenge I think, and that's why maybe form uh, the form in January or the form in a group stages potentially um, might not stand this weekend. I think you know you have to take into account that the best teams have have all been affected massively by international withdrawals, and it's a it's a race then to get them up to speed and cohesive um, for the quarter final, and then we'll, after this now. You know, I think the form comes back again, and then you know you would say the best teams should be ready to play and, and play in the final. But um, it's uh, it's exciting, yeah. Yeah, Murray, you're on your your travels again this weekend, taking in um, Connacht's Challenge Cup quarter final. We'll get onto that later in the show. But Munster Edinburgh at Murrayfields promises to be an absolutely fascinating tie. Munster, big boost for them during the week. Joey Carberry has signed a new contract. Um, they're hoping he pulls through, obviously recovers from his hamstring injury to, to start on Saturday. But again, that's a, that's a big boost for them as well. And it kind of reaffirms his commitment to the province and shows the faith he has in, in what Johan van Graan is doing down there. Yeah, extending it to June 2022 is an, a real statement of that. Um, I think initially when the move happened, there was a bit of... I guess hesitance, a bit of concern on his side. It was something totally out of the blue, almost to him. He had, he'd come through in Leinster and felt very much at home there um, and certainly went down with probably those doubts in his mind and they were quickly expelled, weren't they? He settled in so quickly and the Munster fans, really importantly, took to him so quickly. There wasn't any sense that, oh, this guy has to prove himself to us. Um, there was an immediate uh, kind of love for him down there and he, he really has become a, a bit of a hero to the fans in a, in a short space of time. Deservedly so, he's, he's performed really well. And the exciting thing about that deal is that he's only 23 now. He has 18 test caps. He's been part of a Grand Slam and um, beating the All Blacks. He's done some incredible things already in his career. 
um, and he's still only 23. The the scope for him to improve even further is really exciting, and I think he's enjoyed getting those back to back to back games at 10 and, and and taking ownership of the team. Definitely still learning elements of that, and and that's always going to be the case with a 23 year old. But I mean, you look back and, and Johnny Sexton when he see, when he was 23, he kind of exploded onto the scene. Um, Carby's already achieved more than that, and it, and it feels like there's still still a lot more to come. So really exciting for Munster. Um, probably disappointing for Leinster in a way a lot of people kind of expected oh, he'll, he'll do a couple of years down there and, and move back up but I don't think that was really in his mind at all and I think signing this new contract for him was pretty straightforward Yeah Bernard it's, it's one thing going down there with the promise of game time but it's another thing going down there and delivering on that and delivering on his promise and growing as well in that jersey Yeah absolutely and I think it's I think it's a good thing I think whether you agree or disagree with players being moved um, I think that if they make that move you'd like to see them actually you know leave a legacy there and actually buy into it and I think Joey's done that I think it's great by Munster to get us put to bed quite early um, yeah. I presume he'd done a year in his contract had he? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah he did you know this time next year there would have been huge speculation it could have been distracting and um, he's just cut all that messing out and just actually committed to it and, and it's fitting because Munster, listen, Munster obviously Leinster are, are, have had the most recent success but Munster are an incredibly well supported well resourced um, team who probably you know, have a have have if not the richest, the second richest uh, or third richest between them to lose in Leinster heritage now in 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 Europe. So you know, it's fitting that a player goes there and he actually wants to be part of it. And I think uh, it's a great bit of business by by Munster. Um, and yeah, and I think from what I hear about Joey as a as a person and a bloke, I'm, I'm not surprised by it. Yeah, obviously the big selection issue for them this week is having him back in in the ten jersey. Going to to Murrayfield is no mean. It's a it's a pretty difficult task, isn't it, Bernard? You were there last week when they they played Eden or played Leinster, but Munster's record of grinding out wins and big games on this big stage that's a huge asset going over there, isn't it? It's a really really tough game. I I think it's slightly been underestimated in in, in some quarters. Like Edinburgh favourites here and deservedly so. I would say I think it's only four point favouritism, but. Um, they've only lost once at home this season um, and even though Murrayfield can be big and empty at times they, they've made it a bit of a, a stronghold for themselves and what Cockrell has done since he's joined in 2017 has been really impressive the game they've built um, and there's probably elements of it still to come he'd say that himself in terms of the attack but they box kick and, and contest really well their pick and jam game is really strong their line out is running at 90% in this competition whereas Munster I think are down at 79%, actually, surprisingly enough, in this comp. They do have the most line-out steals on average of anyone in per game, so that'll be a really interesting area. But um, Edinburgh carry really well. Bill Matta, obviously, is the this focal point for that. 115 yeah. carries in this competition, and, and CJ Sanders next best on 88, which is pretty incredible stats. Um, and then they have the finishing power of Duhan van der Merva. Kinghorn at 15, is, it can bring that creativity. And Darcy Graham, I, I really enjoy watching him yeah. play. Even though he's the smallest guy on the pitch, he can also be very direct and powerful so they have a really solid defence as well and, and Cockrell has gone about this kind of the right way really built those bits that probably take a little bit less talent a bit more work rate and, and culture driven um, and got those in, in order I think they will have learned a good uh, strong lesson from losing to Munster last yeah. year in the quarterfinal in the Pro 14 when they were maybe a little bit loose at times and led the game to open up um, slightly and, and just missed out in that sense but I think they've driven on again and, and having watched a lot of them this season in the Pro 14 I do think this would be a really 
excellent monster win if they can pull it off. Yeah, Bernard, from what you've seen them, they seem very versatile in attack. They've got a lot of strings to their bow. Murray mentioned a couple of guys there, but how impressed maybe have you been with, with someone like Darcy Graham, who really announced his arrival on the test stage during the Six Nations, and, and we'll hope to continue that on now for the rest of the season, starting with Saturday. Yeah, he's been... Um He's been excellent. Like physically, you wouldn't um, expect much of him because he's 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 quite small. But um, he packs a, a real punch. He's very strong contact. Um, I thought Watson was was excellent uh, last weekend against against Leinster. I think that Leinster's defense is is, is very strong. Uh, even no matter whether it's the second string or third string, um, they're incredibly well organized. There's not much space in behind. Sorry, there's not much space in the front line. There is space in behind. But um, Edinburgh didn't really want to kick kicked the ball away in, in attacking the areas of the pitch. So they played a lot of multi-phase and, and they really struggled to break Leinster down, except when they got to have all into hands like Samata, Watson, um, Darcy Graham. They had the, the little bit more X factor and and uh, you know and they got a little half um the half yard that, that gave them forward momentum. But uh, I, I think the big thing for this game is that Carby plays, to be honest. I think that if Carby doesn't play You've got two very similar teams um, playing a similar type of game. And um, I think that Carby could be the key in terms of unlocking Edinburgh. I think defensively, I actually don't think Edinburgh are as as strong as um, as probably the other teams left in the competition, I think particularly in the wider channels. Um, and I think that for Munster to go and beat them there, I think that Carby would be a huge, um, huge boost to them because you just have that creativity and that um, he's he's a better playmaker I think than the other tens they have. So, mm. um, but what what Cocker's done in Edinburgh is, is is massive. I just think what we've seen in the past is Munster being able to find that extra 15 percent in Europe, particularly in knockout stages. And if they find that, they'll win. But um, you know, it's a, definitely a tough game. Yeah. Where where are Munster at the moment under Johan van Grammeri? I know it's it's difficult because they haven't been together as a as a full group since the end of January. So but just judging maybe on, on the basis of the of the pool stages and, and even the progress that they made last year getting to the semi final, are they a better side this year? Are they better equipped to maybe go that one step further this yeah, time? Yeah, the I, I wasn't really sure of the answer to that question until I was over in King's Home watching them against Gloucester. I thought yeah. that performance was the most convincing of his uh, rain yet and it was a really good image I think of what he wants to create with Munster defensively they were excellent and really hard working you remember that 35, pa- 35 phase passage I think it was 5 minutes and 20 seconds of ball in play now they did concede but the work rate was off the charts um, and they brought that to all aspects of the game. The ball carrying was really vicious, really aggressive and direct. And they got over the gain line and allowed Carberry to create moments like that beautiful uh, left-footed grubber kick for Andrew Conway's try. Um, they had a destructive edge as well. You think of Ty Byrne and Peter O'Mahony consistently making turnovers, whether it was line-out, breakdown, spoiling malls, um, and bringing that turnover mentality that Munster have always had and, and thrived off. Um, so I thought that was a really nice image of what Munster want to do. They were also clinical in attack, um, while it was direct, it was really strong ball carrying from the likes of CJ Sander. You saw Carberry producing that little moment or moving the, the ball a little bit wider. Um, and I think it is still a work in progress. I think there's still elements of it. Even Mike Haley fitting in at 15 new this season has probably taken time to, to settle in. And we're seeing more and more of him each game. Still a couple of errors in his game as well. But um, they've added little strands to everything uh, along the way and I think that really is the template for them now that performance in Gloucester and if they can deliver something like that where they had the 
utter physical dominance, which is no given. Um, and that creative edge, as Bernard mentioned, that Carberry brings, that could be a real mm. key, a key point of difference. It's hard to see them, though, being able to bully yeah, Edinburgh yeah. like they bullied Gloucester. I think um, I think that game was actually probably a, a turning point for Gloucester. What they've done since, you know, um, it seemed to hurt them. Um, and, they, and they've bounced back. They've, they've improved since then. But just, I don't see any... It's very difficult to see a Cockrell coach team mm. who are so consistent in, in the... In the physical stakes and the set piece um, and the collision to be allowed to be bullied, so that's why I'm saying I think uh, Carberry has to, or or they need to have a little bit more creativity. I think um, I think Edinburgh will stand up to them, and you know to beat them, it's going to take a little bit more than just um, one out runners and, and twenty phases and twenty yeah. phases. I've, I've been really impressed just with Cocker and looking at Leicester now. It's it's a bit yeah, of a mess there. Have you come across him? Yeah, I know him really well. He's um, he's actually very um, very good bloke. Like he's charismatic. I mean, the, you know, the, some of the perception of him um, is this really old school. You know, yeah. head down. Um, but he has he's got charm. Um, he's witty. Uh, players will play for him, and uh, for sure, Leicester made a mistake at the time. It's very difficult to be to be in the same club for as long as he was, and especially the way he. He managed, and he has very strong uh, principles around how to play the game. I think there was a clash between him and him and the backs coach and Aaron Major, or was it Aaron Major, around yeah. the attacking philosophy. So Cockrell, Cockrell has a very clear vision how he thinks the game should be played, um, and you know he was the one who 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 left, and um, he went to Toulon, and he got him to a final. You know, in a short period of time, he went down there with Mike Ford. Then Mike Ford got sacked, and Cockrell took the reins for the last three games. They got beaten in a in a top fourteen final. He was already signed for Edinburgh, and um, in fairness, I spoke to him about Edinburgh, and he, he said, "Look, at it, he's got twenty odd internationals." You know, what I mean, he felt on Edinburgh were unbel- were underperforming. You know, given the amount of internationals they have, and um, he also, you know, he knew he was going to get back in from the SRU in terms of recruitment um, to be able to bring in some foreign players, which he felt he needed, and um, you know, they've done that and they've done it well, and uh, they're definitely. They're definitely, you know, if Glasgow can be as good as they are, you know, there's no reason why Edinburgh can't be. And I think with Cockrell there, they'll go a long way towards doing that. Mm. Is, is this a big game in that context for them? No, I think this, this is a freebie for him as well. I know okay. he wouldn't want to say that, but um, realistically, are they contenders to win it? I don't think they are. Um, it'd be huge. It'd be massive to get to a semi-final. But I think Edinburgh going to get better and better. You know, he's still, I think this is only year two, Um his recruitment this summer, uh, I think by the end of the next, but by, by next season you'll see, you know, a squad that Richard Cockrell has has hand selected, um, and uh, I think that next year they should even be better again. But I don't think it, listen if they can make the playoffs of Europe uh, of, of the Pro 14, which they went uh, and they made a step towards doing you know, up by beating Leinster the weekend. Um, they, you know, they're going to have a good season, haven't been in the quarter final of. Europe and a and a playoffs in the in the Pro 14. I think if you if you looked at the amount of points they lost during the Six Nations and during November, that shows he doesn't really have the squad yeah. depth, and that's what he's his next challenge is to is to build that depth that Glasgow have, um, you know, and the Irish provinces have. Yeah, sure, Murray. We've we've had a question from Mark Breen on Instagram, wondering does Jack O'Donoghue deserve his shot at seven this week? You were highlighting, I think, earlier in the week how good he was last week. It's great to see him back fit again and firing. So will Johan Van Grand go with him in the back row or how do you see that selection playing out? Yeah, I thought he was brilliant. I um, thought he was probably the man of the match uh, last weekend. 
so much energy. Obviously, he's had a frustrating period since that knee injury against Leinster last season. Um, but he looks really fit and really hungry, carried well, and he's really um, excellent set piece operator. He's kind of reminds me almost of Peter Mahoney now. The way his game is developed, he's excellent in the mall, really good line out jumper, really dynamic off the ground, um, and probably not that carrier that he was quite when he was younger. He's still explosive through the carry, but not just the only part of his game. He's really developed rounded skill set. Um, it, it would be a big call, I think, to start him in, yeah. in this game given the lack of games. Uh, Chris Clute is is fit. Poor old Tommy O'Donnell, obviously unlucky once again. Um, and I think Clute, just given the fact that he's probably got a few more games under his belt, m- might edge it. He's got a, a turnover threat as well. But listen, I think Jack O'Donnell's shown that he's he's fit enough and um, certainly in form enough to, to feature. Yeah. Bernard, how do you see it going? Um, I think Munster edge it, to be honest. Uh, I just think they've got, they've got enough... To, to beat Edinburgh um, I, I, I admire what Edinburgh have done but I, I don't see them being a, a top four team in Europe yet okay. um, even though being home will be a massive advantage and the fact that it's, it's a novelty for them to be in the stage you know it'll be a huge crowd their Munster bring a big crowd so they'll feed off that but um, I just think Munster have so much experience of, of knockout rugby um, and they have enough quality as well to, to beat them With that big game nice pull through from Munster Murray yeah, well, it is their 18th knockout, isn't yeah. it? It's incredible. I think Edinburgh is their third, maybe. They don't really have that that history. Um, I think Bernard's point about Carberry playing is, is just vital for this. I think he's the the key to it, to be honest. Um, if he doesn't play, I actually can see Edinburgh winning um, just by edging a dogfight, an absolute dogfight of a game, which may not be too pleasing on the eye, but will be uh, riveting to watch nonetheless. But if Carberry plays, I, I do think Munster will win. You're very welcome back to the 42 Rugby Weekly in association with Volkswagen. It is European quarterfinal week. Murray Kinsler and Bernard Jackman in studio with us. Murray, all eyes on the Aviva Stadium on Saturday for, for a fascinating Interpro Leinster against Ulster. Just the second time they've actually met in Europe's top flight competition, which, which comes as a surprise, really, that 2012 final, obviously the, the only previous um, encounter between the two provinces in Europe. It's set up to really be a, a fascinating game, and I suppose off the back of the Six Nations, there's, there's added subplots there, isn't there? Yeah, there's plenty, isn't there? Even Rory Best kind of almost stoking the fire a little bit, saying he won't have to be asked for, for protection for Johnny Sexton this time around, and that, that ref chat is certainly going to be interesting with Romain Poit. Um, two of the most disciplined teams, actually, in the competition. They're number one, uh, Ulster are number one for fewest penalties conceded uh, Leinster number two um, um, so it's going to be interesting how that side of it goes but it is fascinating given that uh, as Bernard mentioned the, the Leinster internationals didn't go back on mass last weekend against Edinburgh in the Pro 14 they're coming back in having had a break and I think Leinster would hope a lot of the guys kind of refresh their mentality and, and coming in a little bit more positive and, and the change of scene might, might suit them so it is going to be really interesting um, there are a couple of Big injury omissions and one who I think is going to be really key is Will Addison missing yeah. out for Ulster. His creativity um, and his ability to offload, he's the top offloader in the competition so far with 17. Um, I think they'll miss that I think they'll miss that edge in attack. However, like as we mentioned with Edinburgh, it is a bit of a free shot for Ulster and there's no better occasion for them to, to bring all those exciting strands of their game together. Uh, Stockdale is one of the best finishers in the world. Uh, Billy Burns, a, a really good um, passing and kicking out half. I think he's top, joint top of the try assist yeah. charts. He, he's creative. Um, and guys like Marcel Coetzee have come into really good form. His ball carrying is going to be really important. Um, and Ian Henderson playing 
as Ulster Hope would be vital for that as well. He's got a really um, aggressive, influential edge to his play, his choke tackling and his carry is really important for them. So look, they have lots of elements there. It's a good Ulster 15, I think. Addison missing is, is a blow, but I think they'll see it as a, a real opportunity. Yeah, Bernard, Leinster's only defeat in their last 27 home games was Benetton um, in the Pro 14 in April last year. They've got a good, strong record at the Aviva Stadium, winning 11 of their last games since Toulon in December 2015. They're defending champions. All the pointers suggest that this is going to be a Leinster victory. But this is a as Murray was saying, this is a dangerous game for them, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's very dangerous for them. Um, obviously, they're incredibly uh, uh, consistent in terms of being able to get wins. But I, I do think that Provincial derbies can, um, particularly when they when they reach the knockout stages, can um, can change the picture a little bit. I think I'd be interested to see how Dan McFarland, Dwayne Peel, and Jared Payne set their team up. What they've seen in Leinster, um, and to be honest, they probably had, you know, uh, more opportunity, more time over the Six Nations to really make a plan for Leinster. I think you know because they've had more players in camp. You know, Leinster, they haven't lost as many players to Ulster, so you can start to set things up a little bit, you know, subtly for a game like this. I remember, um, you know, under Cheka, you know, we'd sometimes run, even the, the, the second string who weren't, who the team without international players would run strike plays for three or four weeks in the lead up to a quarterfinal um, to try and lure the opposition into something. You know, so uh, I remember the semi-final against Munster in Crow Park. I mean, we, we ran a strike play for four or five weeks to try, because we knew Maffey liked to jump. Um, to lure him out and we let him end up scoring a, a try off I think Luke Fitzgerald scored in a corner nice. but we didn't play the play we played until that game you know what I mean so we showed him something um, that we wanted him to see and he sees it then and he thinks wow I, you know, I've analysed this I can go for for the big shot but that, that wasn't where the threat was so it'll be interesting you know I think it's easier for Dan and, and, and Dwayne Peel to maybe do that over the last four or five weeks um, because as I said they've got more guys stable in camp whereas it's very difficult for Stuart Lancaster or Leo because you know how many guys who, who've been there for the last six, seven weeks are going to play mm. Saturday so that could be an advantage for, for Ulster it will be fascinating to see how they how they try and I suppose attack against Leinster because um, you know their defence is, is so strong and I, I don't think there's a real way of I don't think Ulster can run through that wall I think you have to kick a lot um, and you know then it's about accuracy of kicking and, and being able to um, defend high up the field but you know other teams can run through it like Sarasing etc who are powerful more powerful teams or Saracens potentially who have power all over the field can can do it both ways but I think Ulster would need to kick a lot um, and kick well so I think that's going to be be fascinating it's very hard to see Ulster win but um, I think the, the, the what Ulster would be hoping for is that Leinster just probably are a little bit um, all over the place in terms of their combinations, and which is natural. You know, it's the first game for a long time together, and they'll try and play on that. Yeah, well, How, they're missing two key guys in that sense, aren't they? Robbie Henshaw not there at twelve. Um, you'd imagine O'Loughlin stepping in there. Um, and obviously missing Devon Toner in the line out yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, we saw how much that affected Ireland during the Six Nations. They do really good second rows, obviously, and there's there's depth there, but those um combinations you say may not be Absolutely perfect. And Ulster do have that good kicking game. Like John Cooney's probably the best yeah. kicking nine aside from Conor Murray. His, he's, he's well able to play that territorial game. That is fascinating though about <laughs> setting teams up with plays yeah. in advance. I, I'm not sure if everyone does it, but um, I know that Leinster 
under Cheka. Um, it was. I'm sure. I, I'm sure teams do 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 it. But um, I think you can. I mean, if you look back, most teams will go in and analyze the last four or five games. Yeah. You know. So if you have a strike play that is is very easy read. You know, and and you keep showing that, and uh, you know, like it, there's not they're not difficult shapes, but you're just trying to get that defense coach or or that player in that team who likes to make the big read or is a poor is a poor making reads to um, to believe he's seen something before, and he can shut it down, mm. and then that's obviously where you know you can go for for broke. Um, and we did the same to remember we played we beat Mus- Munster Musgrave Park. Um, in the rain back in 2000 probably 2007 2008 which was huge for us and you know we scored off a strike play often these games come down to to one mm. one play you know one play and look at look at Ireland last year you know when we were in a deadlock with teams it, it often was that that strike player that power play that broke the deadlock and we got in front and then we managed to stay in front um, and I think this game from an Ulster point of view you know if the game is just a um, a stereotypical game where um, both teams share possession 50-50 uh, you'd imagine Leinster will win but if, if Ulster can get ahead and, and rattle them a little bit uh, they have to do that they, they, they can't they can't afford to just go out and play their normal game I think to, uh, if they do they won't beat Leinster yeah Leinster like tend to dominate possession don't they I think they're kind of similar figures are on the general yeah. around 23 minutes have you seen a club side because they they talk so much about the Tuesdays and in fairness and when the ball is in play yeah. for two three minutes they do seem to excel is that a real area of strength for them do you yeah think? well look I mean I don't know if you remember but against Edinburgh the first phase of the game was five minutes it's the, it's the longest opening phase I've seen so yeah. when Joe Schmidt came to Ireland um, he had this drill and it was a three minute drill okay and effectively the ball was in play for three minutes and guys were out in their feet, you know. what I mean, <laughs> after two, it was t- took you to a place, a really dark place, uh, because you're not used to that, right? Because that wasn't the way the game was played. The game was played in 10, 10 to um, to sixty second blocks, right? Um, and but suddenly he, you know, he realised that the way the game was going, and the worst case scenario was three minutes. Okay, and that's why everyone felt it was. So be ready for that. Gats is the same with with Wales. I mean, he came back from the Lions tour and he said, look at, you know, we need to be able to go for four and a half minutes here. So they, they put a massive focus on these long, high intense blocks of play at training um, where there's massive pressure to be accurate in fatigue. And uh, I taught against Scott, against Edinburgh the weekend and it's not Leinster's first team, but the ball stayed in play for five minutes and, um, I was co-commentating and, and we had to step in to give the commentator a break. He, he generally, you let him commentate, yeah. but he was he was running out of air himself. And um, But Leinster actually made a line break at the end of that. They were actually, co- they were coherent under massive fatigue. Whereas Edinburgh, Edinburgh were literally, their defensive shape, they lost the ball late and their defensive shape um, uh, disappeared and Leinster capitalised and then they got down into the 22 and Michael Bent knocked it on eventually. But, you could see that Leinster were stronger as in that period, and that's you know Stew Stew's or whatever is a, is a replication of that. So I do think that they're very good at at uh, they're very comfortable in those periods. Now, having said that, Gregor Townsend is is very similar, and Dan McFarland, his apprenticeship was under Gregor Townsend, mm-hmm. and I know from speaking to to Dan and and people in his in his camp. You know, that's the way he trains as well. So it's not Stuart probably. I think Joe started this, but now it likes a Gatlin, Stuart, um, you know, Townsend. It's not. It's not unusual now yeah, to do that. Yeah. You know, it's more common than than uh, before. But the, probably the teams who started at the earliest have now 
yeah. you know, mastered and developed it and, and are more comfortable. So yeah. um, the one, yeah, the first people who started are obviously going to be ahead of the game. But uh, I wouldn't say Ulster would be uncomfortable. Uh, I think if, if, if the ball's played for five minutes, you'd imagine Leinster going to be more comfortable. But um, I think Ulster, the way they train, they're, they're pretty fit and um, they're used to those long, uh, long periods of, of play. Yeah, I got on the YouTube hole last night. Actually, I went back for that. You remember Highlanders Chiefs? Yes. That incredible passage of play there. Yeah. a couple of years ago in right. rugby. Yeah, but you uh, only need one of those, right? So yeah. what happens is, so everyone says, "Oh, three minutes is the worst case scenario." Then there's a scenario like that, where whatever, it's, if it's four minutes, well, then suddenly everyone's like, "Look at lads, we've found this clip." Um, the ball yeah. could be a play for four minutes so then you, just, you go from three minutes of pain to four minutes of pain yeah Ben Smith had about four line breaks yeah. worth a watch if people can't remember yeah. <laughs> how, how do Ulster go about combating that though do they look back at, at the game Leinster played at the wreck before Christmas Murray and, and look at the way Bath disrupted their ball at the breakdown you know we, we spoke about the back row battle there obviously Marce- Marcel could see his fit again Jordy Murphy knows all about Leinster their systems their patterns their players is that one of the ways they can go about disrupting Leinster? Yeah, I think you try to do that in every single game you play is try and uh, disrupt their possession and um, kind of stemmy the flow of their attack. Bath did that really well, obviously with Francois Lowe and uh, Sam Underhill, the pair of them really teamed up well at the breakdown. I think you have to be quite clever in doing that against Leinster because if you're flooding bodies into rooks, they're, they've got enough tools to, to exploit you in many different ways. They can grind you out, they can be direct, they can play with, with they can offload. Um, they've got real variety to their, to their ability. Um, I think, yeah, they will look at that template. They'll look at Munster down in Thome Park and how scrappy they made it, how frustrated they uh, made Leinster. Even Finneen Witcherly getting Johnny Sexton's face, I think you're going to see plenty of that. And I would hope there's plenty of spice in this game. Uh, it'll really kind of reignite that, that interprovincial sense as well. Uh, the other big defeat obviously had was away in Toulouse. Not quite the same pattern, um, and I think Leinster were quite frustrated we're not putting away the opportunities they had in that game. But there are certain little bits in, in those three games that we've mentioned there that, that Ulster will learn from. Yeah, you can't outplay Leinster. Ulster can't outplay Leinster. So they have to they have to try and you know get amongst them, frustrate them. I think McCluskey you'll see him you'll see him getting involved, getting into that ten channel um reasonably early and he's quite he's quite abrasive. Um, and he could be a go-to guy for them, obviously from Leinster's point of view. If you can stop him and kill the king as such, you know that's going to be a um, a blow psychologically to Ulster. Um, at least the model would be, I think, what England did to Ireland, you know, what Wales did to Ireland. You gotta you gotta take the risk of of attacking the breakdown. I don't think you can let Leinster or Ireland have quick ball and easy ball. Um, and uh, obviously the risk up till now was was and teams were nearly afraid Ireland's. Uh, recycling stats were so high it was like oh don't even bother going in there you're not going to get it but mm. I think you saw in the Six Nations to a certain extent you saw maybe in Bath um, that if you're really accurate and you have the personnel to do that now do Ulster have the per- you know Chris Clutie for example you'd say oh put him in amongst le- put him on in the Viva on Saturday and he could do damage I mean um, from an Ulster point of view have they got real jackal threats Marty Moore's not bad you know but um, like you know who do you think Murray have they got the back yeah, the forward see, uh, I suppose see, is good he's yeah. go- he is good but he's going to a lot of his energy is trying yeah. to give them go forward yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean Um. so have Ulster will they counter rook you know they've got to be their forward pack need to be incredibly abrasive physical and you know try and spoil Um. I, I just think if they give Leinster if they fan out Leinster's attack will will rip them in shreds at some stage they'll be okay for seven or eight phases but then, then they will they will burn him. 
Yeah, whether he likes it or not, there will be so many eyes on, on Johnny Sexton. Yeah, I was say. Particularly after, he'll like it. After so, he'll, he'll like it. He's, he's not going to shy away from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he'll. I think he'll be absolutely excited about. Wow, I've got a big game coming up where I can put all this nonsense to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Does he need to do that? Does like he doesn't need to because look, you yeah. spoke about it last week. He was World Player of the Year only a couple of months ago. He had an unbelievable season last year. You know, he hasn't turned into a bad player overnight. But does he just need to, as Brennan said, just put all that to bed and just forget about what happened in the Six Nations mm. and and a good performance on Saturday helping Leinster into the the semis would do that. Yeah, yeah. I just hope so because I'm sick of people asking me about it as well. <laughs> Everyone I meet, what's up with Johnny Sexton? Um, yeah, just go. Stick to what he knows. Stick to the processes. Obviously, it's been a, a rocky period for him, but he's got so much quality. And even at the start, of the, like the Wales game, obviously ended really poorly for him. He started that well, like that crossfield kick to Stockdale. I watched it back again last night. It was an incredible kick. Uh, where if it goes wrong, Wales are probably going to score a try, and he nails that. Obviously, things fell apart from there, and um, I, I don't think it'll have. I think I agree with Bernard. I don't think it'll have rattled him and make him question whether he's a he's a world class player. I think he'll just be focused on doing the things that'll help Leinster win this game and um, the familiarity around him will, will help him, certainly. Uh, I do think everyone's going to be buying a ref link, though, in the yeah. stadium because they just want to hear that chat with the ref. And that will be an interesting part of it because yeah. last time, I guess, the last big high-profile game we saw him do that was down in Munster and yeah. that was a big What about that down. dynamic between Rui Best and Sexton and, and Roman Poit? Like, that's going to be fascinating. As you say, people are going to be buying ref links to hear what's going on because obviously the two of them have worked so closely over the last couple of weeks and years with Ireland, but now they're they're kind of on the opposite ends. They've got vastly contrasting styles of captaincy. So how do you kind of see that one? And, and it's obviously a big part of the game. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, they're both really disciplined teams uh, and Bess has been pretty good at managing refs. Looking at Pot stats, he tends to give probably more scrum penalties than, than a lot of other refs um, and fewer foul play penalties, which is interesting. <laughs> so hopefully there's, there's not a oversight of those kind of things in the game. But I think that scrum will be massive. That set piece will be massive because if you're giving up those penalties, especially to a team like Leinster and giving them territory, they'll they'll punish you um, pretty strongly. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to listen in on that. I think um, I don't think Sexton will be as abrasive or as aggressive with the referee as he potentially was last time. Um, and I expect him to have a good game, to be honest. Yeah, Brendan, you see Leinster getting the job done, but it could be closer than... Yeah, than I, think it should be, I think it will be closer. Um um, because I just think Leinster will be a little bit rusty. Uh, uh, Roman Poit doesn't really listen to referees anyway, uh, or listen to captains. So, um, <laughs> sorry, so like, uh, probably that won't be, I think the lads will know him, and um, there's no point really trying to get in his head uh, and talk to him that much, because he, he makes his own decisions, uh, whether right or wrong, and he doesn't really care. So, um, it might not, there won't be the dialogue that maybe people are expecting. You know, sure, Johnny might try to have a word with him, but he generally brushes people off. And that's not against Rory or Johnny, that's just the way he referees. Yeah, yeah he's an interesting character. Yeah. If people get there early, watch his warm up. It's pretty good. He uses rubber bands. <laughs> he's actually quite <laughs> fun. fun. He's actually, yeah, he a, he's actually a great really, character. He's actually a really good character. <laughs> and he knows the image he has and he plays up to that. <laughs> but uh, I, I've, I've got to know him through ref conferences in France and. Uh, He's just—he's just so French. He's just yeah. so himself, and uh, like he just—he's—he's uh, he's a very interesting guy, and he's got a big match temperament, so he won't get flustered by the atmosphere and that. But uh, he definitely will make some poor decisions, um, and I think everyone just needs to accept those. Yeah, the view will be full now, half an hour before kickoff. Watching him <laughs> watch <laughs> up. 
So for this week's interview, Ryan, you caught up with your new best mate, Ian Keeley. <laughs> We're on, yeah, WhatsApp terms now, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> How's he getting on? Yeah, he's, he's obviously got off to a great start in London Irish. Isn't he really relishing that consistent game time at 10? I think he scored three tries already in, in four appearances, and, and it's great to see him going well. I started by asking him how he's settling into life in London Irish. Yeah, uh, yeah, really enjoying it over here. I think obviously the main reason I came over here was to was to play rugby and uh, to get a bit of game time. So uh, I, I've been doing that um, and uh, just really enjoying the whole atmosphere. Obviously working under Declan Kidney and Les Kids again, and uh, it's just it's just completely different over here, just compared to what was in Munster, um, like. There's a great bunch of lads here. Obviously, there's still a great bunch of lads in Munster, but like the dynamic has completely changed. I think there's like 12 or 13 different nationalities over over here, which is compared to Irish clubs. Normally, normally you only have three or four different nationalities within the team. Like obviously in Munster, there was like you had your Irish, uh, you obviously had your South African, New Zealand, like. Uh, maybe an English lad thrown in there but while here there's 12, 13 different nationalities so I think the hardest thing when I came over here is trying to understand they've all come from different backgrounds and different cultures and to to make sure that you, you respect everyone's opinion and their, and their different cultures because they all they all think differently which is it's very interesting and even just chatting to most of the lads you just you just see their backgrounds and where they've come from and it's just an eye-opener and it's really enjoyable to be around. Yeah, for sure. You seem to be really thriving off regular game time again. Obviously, it was frustrating the last couple of months with Munster, and that's obviously why you made the move to get that consistent game time at 10. Another try and six conversions for you last weekend against Doncaster, so it's going well on the pitch as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I've scored three tries in four matches, and um, my pace kicking's been been really good. So uh, uh, I, I've just been really happy, and that's kind of one of the things when I wasn't playing that much with Munster. I actually really said, okay, right, I'm not. I know I'm not playing, but the fact what I tried to do while I wasn't playing was to try and improve my game, and I really went away with my pace kicking. I'm mean, kicking was still really good last year, but I, I wanted to get it to another level. So I've been really kind of using the time that even though I wasn't playing and as frustrating as it was being, I was still trying to improve. Uh, obviously, I knew I was moving to Chorizo, so I wanted, when I did move to Chorizo, was to be a better player. Um, but thankfully now when I went to London, got the opportunity with London Irish, that I, I, those things that I worked on have really... I've really helped and trying to I have trying to been trying to score more tries or just being more an attacking threat and obviously working on my goal kicking and uh, I think yeah I touch wood it, it's coming along well at the moment and I the big thing with the goal kicking is when you step back and you're you're confident and you almost before you've even kicked it you, you, you kind of have a really good feeling that it's gonna gonna go over and that's and that's half the battle with pace kicking is is your confidence so I think that's really coming along yeah I know you know, you've only been there for, for four games so far, but do you feel your game, even just talking to you there about your attacking game and scoring more tries, do you think your game has, has maybe changed in any way when you are in that London Irish jersey? Have you, are you given more freedom? Or are you given more licence? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. You have to kind of remember it, it, it is a different competition. Like, uh, 
it, it is championship competition. So it is a bit, I wouldn't say it's, it's less of a challenge. It's, it's got its own challenges in, in a different way. Uh, but there is a little bit more space. So I, I, I presume that like my attack and tread is coming out because there is a lot more space compared to even like European rugby at the highest level. So, but once again, even if the space is there, you have to be in a position to be able to, to take those opportunities, which I, which I feel I am doing. And um, so it, it's hard to tell because obviously, as I said, it is a different competition compared to the Pro 14, but all you can do is play what's in front of you. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to do. So making sure that if the opportunity does arise to be able to attack that space, that uh, I'm still taking it and doing it to try and work on my own game. Yeah, when I was talking to you to you last month, you, you spoke about getting outside your, your comfort zone, so to speak, and, and leaving Munster was doing that. Do you feel, you, again, you, you've just benefited from that, a new environment, new teammates, new changing room, new competition? You've just really thrived on that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, as I said, with, even with the different nationalities and Munster, there was always a way of doing things in Munster, and when you come here, you ha- you have to make sure that you adapt to, to the way uh, London Irish do things. And I, I've been trying to trying to bring in a few things myself that that I think have been pretty beneficial but also learning learning off the guys here because as I said when you go to different cultures uh, different environments uh, like teams do things slightly different and some of them are good or some of them are bad and I'm finding that I, I, my game is progressing because I, I'm thinking I'm taking one or two little things that I'm learning here hopefully I'm bringing one or two things that I've learned throughout the years to London Irish and Together, I'm I'm trying to help London Irish, so hopefully to get promoted this year. But even if they do get promoted, to to try and get them to kick on um, for next year, and trying to bring in a few things in. And same with me when I go to Treviso, I'm trying to learn things here that uh, that I could bring. Hopefully, so I've learned a lot, obviously through through the years in Connacht and in Munster. But also, if I can learn a few things here and just as I said, try and keep developing my game and bring that fully onto Treviso and then even even past that if I ever go into coaching. Yeah, working with, with Declan Kidney and, and Les Kiss, you've spoken about it before, but it, it must have been a nice kind of development in, in that sense that working with under new coaches and, and kind of new ideas, new philosophies. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, as I said, like when you move to a different country, a different environment, you, you're kind of... You obviously you have that little bit of nervousness because you're moving into unfamiliar territory, but but knowing Decky and knowing Les and uh, even like having Brendan Mackin and Connor Gilson here, who are two Irish lads that I that I knew, uh, it kind of just makes you that that gives you that little bit of homely feel. And then when you're here and and you see like players that like like Sayafanga or Gordon Reed or like. Uh, even the likes of Luke McLean, like I haven't got chat to Luke McLean because he obviously uh, is an Ar- Italian international who's played with Treviso. Like so, I'm like asking him all about Treviso, and uh, and just just really enjoying the obviously I said about like the different cultures and different nationalities. Just even talking to people who are outside of that kind of monster bubble, and you kind of realise how much more to life there is um, outside of like. Monster and obviously rugby and and that just kind of that development kind of 
Yeah, sure. London Irish, eight points clear at the top of the championship. You, you've been going well, but there's still a few games to go, so so still work to do. Cornish Pirates away this Saturday. Um, it's just, there seems to be a real focus at the club just to get the job done and do it efficiently and, and finish as strongly as you can. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, um, like, you, you, people are looking from the outside of how God the championship, like, you'd expect it to be like winning with a bonus point week in week out but it, it is quite a it, it is a tough a tough league and um, like there is a few fantastic uh, players throughout the competition scattered and there's a lot of like former former professional players who are scattered with, with throughout um, throughout the championship with a few a lot of young players who are developing and you've got such a a wide range of, of players without within the championship, and if you're not mentally there week in week out, you can be you can be cost. And I think it happened to us there uh, two or three weeks ago and against Leeds Carnegie, and it was literally just a matter of fact that just mentally they were there and we weren't. And if you're not mentally there, and that's and that's the beautiful thing about about rugby that doesn't matter how good a team you are, if you're not mentally there, you can be beaten on the day. Um, and and we've seen like such huge upsets upsets uh, throughout the years uh, in, in all of rugby. But like if you're not mentally there in, in rugby, it doesn't matter what type of player you are. You could have a world class fifteen out. If if you're not mentally there, you're you're susceptible to being beaten. So that's our main focus now. The next uh, four or five games for the season is that to make sure that if we are mentally there, that we have put ourselves in a really good chance. But if if we're if we're not mentally there for the, these next few games, we we could struggle. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, your focus is on the last couple of games of the season with Irish, but I'm sure you have one eye on on Benetton's progress, and that they're certainly making exciting progress under under Kieran Crowley ahead of your summer move. You must be really looking forward to that next chapter as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's 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 exciting to 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 see them doing so well. I think they're second, ter- no third now in the in um, on the on the other side of the conference um, in the Pro 14. And it's just it's just it is it's exciting time. Um, hopefully now they can hold on to second or third and qualify for the for for the Champions Cup next year. Um, but even still, like it's it's exciting to watch the de- their development of their game, and yeah, Karen Crowley seems to be doing a really good job, and and even like talking to Luke, who's talks to a few of those Luke McLean, who talks to a few of those players, they're all just really enjoying it, and I think I think that's that's half the key to success. If you've got an enjoyable team, if you've got a team who's enjoying what they do, you're on the right track, and uh, they seem to be enjoying it, and they're playing a good brand of rugby, and um. I know myself and my family are really excited and I'm trying I'm starting Italian lessons it's it is quite tough I'm starting from scratch making sure I'm going through all the basics but uh, making sure that hopefully when I get over there I've got a little bit of a grasp of the language yeah brilliant Ian thanks a million for joining us and best of luck for the rest of the season yeah no worries Ryan it's good chatting to you see you man
You're very welcome back to the 42 Rugby Weekly in association with Volkswagen. Now, it's a big week for Connacht and the Challenge Cup. They continue their European campaign with a third meeting of the season against Sale Sharks over in Manchester. Murray, you're taking in this game before you head up to Edinburgh as well. Connacht have been going well in the Pro 14 under Andy Friend. They're in a strong position there, but now their attention turns, as we say, to Europe a couple of changes Andy Friend has made this week, so he's trying to balance that squad. They've got big games in the Pro 14 coming up as well. How much emphasis and weight do you think they have to put on Europe? Can they take it easier slightly this week, or, or how do you see that one? Yeah, when you get into this position, it's difficult to avoid that temptation, isn't it? They're in such a brilliant position, first of all, we should just say, in, in this quarterfinal, uh, currently in the playoff spots in the Pro 14, and in that race with three games to go, that's going to be really interesting a couple of months ago, you would have said the Pro 14 definite priority. However, they're three games away from qualifying for Europe through the Challenge Cup as well. And, and winning that silverware would be really nice for the province, for the supporters, for the players as well, in terms of belief and having that bit of silverware and um, kind of carrying that confidence with you. So, yeah, he does have to be cognizant of his squad and, and certainly guys who have played a lot of minutes. Even Jack Carty at 10 is the only 10 really they have yeah. at the moment and he's going to have a, a really busy period ahead. It, it seems like he's the kind of guy who would just happily play all games, though. Um, you do have to think of his, his longevity in that as well. They do have a bit more depth in their squad this season. That's been one of the really encouraging parts. And even you look at the back row and a guy like Owen McKeown coming back in there in the last uh, number of weeks and being really excellent. And Owen Masterson's an option there. And um, they've built a bit more depth in the second row even as well. So there are options there. It is in a, a few key positions, though, that, say, for 10, for example, um, they look quite reliant on Jack Carthy. Kyle Godwin's has done his best in there, but yeah. he's not an out half. Um, so yeah, there's there's a sense of trying to balance while trying to win as well. Yeah, it is a, a tricky balancing act. I was in Galway um, on Tuesday and Andy Friend spoke well about it, that as you say, they're, they're three games away from silverware in Europe and, and a route, that alternative route, I suppose, into, into the Champions Cup for next season. Bernard... Murray was talking about their players playing well. They've got a lot of squad depth. It's a risk going over to somewhere like the AJ Bell Stadium where Sale will be really up for this game. It's a huge game for them at home in, in the quarterfinal. Connacht will obviously want to, to go out and put a good performance in themselves and try to get through to the semi-final. But how do you see that balance of, as Murray was talking about, striking the right one between... Resting players for for next week, key games against Zebra and Cardiff in the Pro 14, and then being competitive in a in a big European quarterfinal. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult, but uh, I think they've they've worked really hard to get themselves in a really good position in the Pro 14, and um, I think you know they have it's in their own hands to a certain extent. You know they're good enough to go and beat uh, Zebra, and, and they play Cardiff at home. Um, I know Cardiff have, you know had a big win at the weekend, but you'd fancy them I think they can go out and throw everything at this game uh, I genuinely do I think um, it should be a fascinating game Connacht have a have a play a nice brand of rugby um, and I always enjoy watching um, Sale Sharks play as well uh, um, you know their, their tag coach is Paul Deacon the ex-rugby league player and um, there is it's very it's a rugby league style attack with you know with forwards on that hard line you know quite like Cipriani the way he plays with a, with a, uh, a connect out the back and, and they do manipulate defences quite well um, the other angle is Mike Forshaw was defence coach in Connacht for a long time now he's the Sale Sharks and um, you know what what he can do to shut down the Connacht attack is going to be fascinating and um, the AJ Bell isn't an intimidating place to go because it's not you know like a huge support but Sale are very strong there yeah. you know generally they, they uh, play a hell of a lot better at home and um, I think this could be a great tie I'd, I'd be brilliant for Connacht I know 
there's two ways to get into Europe, but um, for them to have a, to bring silverware home would be massive, given where they were at last year. And uh, I think Andy Friend's done a hell of a job, and uh, they just seem to be really happy uh, back to where they were under Pat. Um, and you know, it, it's it's great to have, I suppose, four strong provinces at the moment. Yeah, they shared the spoils in the pool stages when they played each other, Murray. But Andy Friend was talking about it during the week that he feels the squad have just come on leaps and bounds even since that first game back in October between the sides in Salford. So have you seen that growth as well? Yeah, definitely. I think this could be one of the most enjoyable ties of the weekend across both competitions um, and indeed in the European season. It's, it's really set up nicely. That's one of the things that's been so enjoyable at watching Connacht is the fact that you can see the progression. You can see the progression of belief, of confidence, also in the skill set. The players have all spoken about Andy Friend and his coaches telling them, you've all got your own individual weapons, let's use them. Carty's a prime example with his kicking game. Um, he's kicking more than most out halves and, and getting great results from it. Marmion and Blade are sniping and quick tapping and, and bringing that tempo. Guy like Alton Delan backing his power um, and probably using it in, in, in the mall and, and areas like that where maybe it wasn't as prominent before. Tierno Halloran kick returning. Um, and that happiness is just, it's a pleasure to watch. A team who is clearly content with how they're playing and uh, how their coaches are guiding them. The coaching staff have done a really good job as well, even Nigel Carroll in, in attack and, and Jimmy Duffy and Peter Wilkins. The, the assistants have been kind of pushed to do their thing as well. It's a, it's a really interesting philosophy from Andy Friend and it seems very simple, doesn't it really? Just, mm. he hasn't kind of slavishly imposed a style of play. He's kind of said, this is what my players can do and and back them to do that. So, um, listen, even if they lose this tie, I think it's a really exciting time for them. They've Got a nice squad come together as well. Even some of the recent recruitment has been really good. Kobe Feng and Jared Butler have added really good skill set in the back row, but also a bit of a hard edge as well. The two of them are, are well capable of getting stuck in. And um, then you've had other guys like Owen McKeown, Darryl Leader coming back into form as well. So they're in a really positive place. And I'm just looking forward to it as a game of rugby, uh, most of all. Yeah, nothing epitomises that really more than, than Jack Hardy's form. He, he's been in sensational form coming off the bench last week to play that match-winning cameo against Benetton. We've had so many questions, Ian. Is Jack Hardy the best 10 in the country? Is he now shoe-in for the World Cup? All these different things. He's just playing exceptionally well. And as Murray said, it's just Andy Friend, the coach, is backing him down there over there to just do what he does best. Yeah, I think, listen, he's obviously a conference player. I think he's done a lot of work with a, with a sports psychologist, uh, he has the backing of his of his uh, coaches, Nigel and and Andy Friend, and he probably knows that if he has an error, you know he's not going to get dropped or he's not going to get bollocked on a Monday morning in front of the team. That um, as a ten, when you play a, a, a anyway, but particularly when you play a, an attacking style game, you're not going to get every decision right. You know you're going to have so many touches, you're under so much pressure, um, and he just seems like a, a player who's. You know, he's he's in the peak form at the moment. Best I've ever seen him play. Um, obviously, obviously very talented, but um, it's going to be tough to make the World Cup at ten. You know, I think I think Ross Byrne missed an opportunity on on last Friday night in Edinburgh. Like he, how many more games is he going to get this season? He probably needs to yeah. to get a lot of minutes. But um, you know what you're going to get with him. Um, but Carty's form. I mean, it's going to be hard to Carty coming off the bench for Ireland. He's taken his opportunities. Um, he's looked good, and his provincial form is so strong. Um, you know, he probably is in, in control of his own destiny now. You know, and uh, you know, he, there's only f a short number of games left if the, if they get knocked out. So um, it's going to be hard to for Ross Byrne to push past him. And um, I think it, it's great to see a guy like him who had a very tough year last year just bounce back and and um, become such a crucial man in a. In, in his own province. Yeah, Mary, you were particularly impressed with just his game management decision-making when he came off the bench last week against 
Bennett on. Obviously, there was standout moments. He scored a try as well. But just his overall decision-making, his kicking in behind, as you touched on, was just incredibly impressive. Yeah, there's real variety to his play, isn't it? And that's guys around him also facilitating it. That's even on one occasion, Daryl Eder holding his weight, getting the call in. Uh, guys around him understanding that if I can run line off him here, he has the ability to offload or, or to use his handling to, to get the ball away. So he's one of the big um, star attractions in this game. We should caution also that Sale have plenty of those. Yeah. Fafta Clerk is one of the best rugby players in the world. Uh, Attacking-wise, he's always a threat. He's even place-kicking for them, um, albeit not too successfully on occasion, even away against Connacht, it didn't go particularly well for him um, and then in defence as well a small guy but he's kind of revolutionised it almost hasn't he in, in terms of that rush and um, having a bit of a free role in defence they've got Tom Curry a, a turnover merchant um, and Chris Ashton probably the best off the ball work rate and, and running lines of anyone in the world so they have absolute uh, X Factor and Stardust to go with a, a pretty hard working squad as well and that's what makes it such an interesting matchup and such a difficult proposition. They're six in the Prem. They've been quite consistent under Steve Diamond, who is seems to be a device of enough character, but certainly the the players who I've spoken to about him, even the guys over in, in Ireland now from Sale Sharks speak quite highly of him. Yeah, he coached me. And are loyal to him. I had, yeah. I had two years with him. Um, again, uh, good guy to work for. You know, you yeah. know what he wants, you do that, there'll be never any issue. Abrasive, like yeah, he, abrasive, but that's just his personality. He's real, you know. He played, he, he played like that. You know, he was a hooker, um, and he's just very consistent in what he wants from his his players and the kind of kind of culture and attitude um, he wants Sale Sharks to have. He's actually he actually owns a stake in the in the club now. Yeah, um, he put together a consortium that bought it. Um, listen, I'm not talking about what. What, what he does with journalists and stuff like that but in terms of actually being a player you always felt I always felt that you know Steve had your back and he would do he would do whatever it, he could to to try and you know help the team get better so I suppose that's that's a, that's a strong attribute to have um, and I think that's why players who played under him the majority of players who played under him like him he's obviously made mistakes um, but you know, my my dealings with him was only two years, but um, we're positive. Mm. And it's interesting to just have different styles of coaches, yeah, yeah, and different characters, different philosophies, um, and also important to have good assistant coaches as well. Yeah, yeah. sure. On, on those philosophies and styles, Andy Friend has just worked so well over in Galway, hasn't he? Coming in, he's had a huge impact. You know, we spoke about there. There's a great atmosphere in the dressing room. Everyone's really bought into it. He's been the perfect fit for Connacht. Yeah, the right guy at the right time. Um, and in fairness, there are a few like New Sephora was trying to get him into Ulster initially. That was the plan. I think they wanted him in the Irish system, understanding that he probably works well with, with people and is able to manage that uh, maybe trickier side of things when you're trying to weigh up the fact that the RFU essentially own all your players and, and you as a, a province and then trying to get what you need out of it. Um, and he's just a, he just seems like a great fella. He seems to be enjoying life in Ireland and it's refreshing to see that as well. He's out cycling around Connemara <laughs> and meeting people and he's pushing that side of things as well, which is really positive and um, certainly adds to Connacht's brand, I guess, for want of a better word, and people buying into that and coming to games and, and hopefully what will be a, a big bigger stadium eventually. Um, so he has been the right guy at the right time, given what it was last year. I think the players are quite honest now that Kieran Keane has been remo removed for quite a while um, in saying that it wasn't a happy time, that a lot of them didn't have that personal relationship with him. Um, which is a little bit of a cop-out as well. I think it was a, a poor season all round yeah. for the province, not just on the on the head coach, but friends being the perfect guy, the perfect antidote. Yeah, Bernard, Connacht have lost all three of their most recent 
um, Challenge Cup quarterfinal games. Can they get past that hurdle? Yeah, they night? can. They definitely can. I think it's a difficult game. Um, difficult game for them, but they know them well. Haven't played them in the group stages. Um, there was very little between them in that. And Connacht are capable of of definitely pulling off a, a, a surprise. I'm, um, you know, I'm sure Sailor favourites, but uh, I think Connacht are definitely capable of going there and, and winning. And it'd be brilliant for them. Brilliant for them to have a semi final and still be in the hunt in um, in the Pro 14. Yeah, Murray, before we, we finish up, um, we've had a question on it. It's kind of topical this week because Leo Cullen was speaking earlier in the week about John Fogarty being in demand, potentially joining Andy Farrell's backroom team. We've had a question um, asking who would you like to see on that backroom team? He's obviously maybe in the process now of starting to pick that. Sure, Lancaster is committed to Leinster, so he won't be going there for the time being. But who would you like to see on it and, and why is the question from our listener? Yeah, God, I'll have to do a... I'll put out a word for CV applications and stuff. <laughs> um, I think... What you'd like to see is a, a really good attack coach. Um, I'm not quite sure who that is, uh, but someone who can bring that creative edge, um, also those strike plays, which are so important, and maybe a, a slight shift in philosophy. So it would be nice to see something different from Ireland. You're obviously not going to completely revolutionise it. Andy Farrell will have been influenced quite a lot by, by Joe Schmidt and, and his style, but I think it'll be really fascinating to see if Ireland have a, a, a different identity in terms of what they do with the ball uh, in, in the next coaching ticket. John Fogarty would, would be a good appointment as well. He's done really good work in Leinster. Scrum has been good and um, seems to be very popular with the players and, and highly regarded in that sense. Frustrating again for Leinster, I think, to yeah. if they if they do lose another, um, if they do lose a member of staff to, to Ireland and their sense that the RFU are kind of taking from them a little bit will probably only grow with that. But they did a brilliant bit of work in, in tying down Stuart Lancaster, who would have been, I guess, the ideal fit yeah. for Ireland. He would have had that experience at test level, had that attacking um, philosophy as well so it's going to be a really uh, important appointment for, for Andy Farr What about John Fogarty Bernard it, yeah, would he be a good fit? Yeah he'd be a great fit um, uh, he's obviously working with you know a lot of front rows who are in the in the squad um, the Leinster scrum has a very similar philosophy to, to the Irish scrum and uh, I, I suppose I think what Feek has done actually we have to talk give him credit he and uh, Collie McEntee they started off a um, a scrum program, um, about four or five years ago. So the, the Irish scrum, Ireland, the Irish provinces and the Irish team were very reliant on John Hayes and Mike Ross. You know, there wasn't a, a depth of of backup at tight end, but also at loose head, and <clears throat> there wasn't actually a clear philosophy of how we wanted the scrum. So the four provinces all had a scrum coach with a, with with his own unique philosophy, which which isn't. An issue. I think you always want to have a slight difference, but there has to be core fundamentals that run through. And I think what I think the RFU they talked about hiring a, a national scrum coach, and um, what they did was they combined I think Greg Feek's role as being the scrum coach to the senior team, but also being a, a mentor and a, and a teacher to a body of coaches um, who went through this scrum program. It took over I think it was two years or two and a half years. Um, where they did different seminars, different weekends, and they got all the, the scrum geeks into a room and they, they got down, they scrummaged, and they looked at videos and they problem solved. And um, But what it led to was, instead of one guy going around trying to trying to coach all the props in front rows and second rows in Ireland, I think there's maybe 20 of them now, you know, and they're working at all levels. So there's a pretty good chance that when you get a 19-year-old from, from West Cork who's been, you know, through the, through the pathway, he's going to have a very similar set up and, and philosophy as a as a 19 year old from you know from Offaly um, who's come through the pathway and that that's great that means the guys at under 20s level um, you can you can slightly change how you see the scrum as an individual scrum coach but there's 
as I said, there's strong fundamentals that, that run through. So Foggs has been part of that, and obviously he's implemented with Leinster, Jerry Flannery, you know, Jimmy Duffy is doing a scrum in yeah. Connacht, and, and their scrum is, is very good. Aaron, um, uh, Aaron Dundon. Dundon, sorry, uh, he's he's an Ulster. Dan obviously has come come has got a strong scrummaging background, so there's um, some really quality guys available. And but I think it started with a vision four or five years ago and a decision to actually I suppose teach people rather than just hire in an expert and then expect him to be able to cover the whole country. So um, that was that was well done. And then we, we're very strong at, at scrummaging now, and that was a big weakness for us. So um, I think just credit to, to Colly McEntee and, and, and Greg Feek and Usafor for implementing that. Yeah, Mike Ross maybe linked with a return to Leinster if, if John Fogarty does move on. That'd be a, an interesting link up there. Yeah, absolutely. He's obviously done wonders done with the, the women's team. Yeah, he's doing a good job there. They're, that's probably been the high point of the... Probably was the high point of Six Nations for them, yeah. so clearly has a bit of ability there. Brilliant stuff, Mary. You're on your on your travels, as we said, off to Manchester and then to Edinburgh. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's early start Saturday to get up on the train, but um, two excellent games, and it's going to be a brilliant weekend. Try and catch the Leinster Ulster game in the airport or something, but yeah. love it, just love this weekend. Yeah, Bernard Giro di Viva for yeah, what should be a cracker. It, yeah. yeah, I can't wait. Um, I'll catch up on all the games. This weekend is just a, for the couch and um, you know record yeah. Sky Record or Sky Plus and make sure we uh, yeah we'll see we'll see some great rugby and it'll be a you know really interesting pointers towards you know who are the contenders you know for the for the silverware at the end of the season. Brilliant stuff, lads! Thanks a million. Cheers, Ryan. Thank you. Enjoy the Bye. rugby and catch you next week. Cheers. Cheers.